This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. People Talk is where we talk about all things work, career, work-life balance, Those inappropriate snuffling noises that you hear in the background are from my dog, Sandy. So this is very appropriate because the topic this week is about animals in the workplace. So this is a topic near and dear to my heart and a topic on which I'm doing some research this uh, summer along with some colleagues at the Michigan State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, I love my dogs. I've got four dogs. Um, all of them are, have, are special and unique and have their own set of problems. Three or four of them are rescues, really four of them are rescues. Um, the, the fourth one was a reject from a, a, a breeder. But, you know, a lot of my life centers around my dogs and I have other animals, including a horse. Yes, I have a horse. That's a story for another top uh, day. It was an impulse buy after my daughter went to horse camp. Horses are actually very cheap in Michigan. People will give you a horse or sell you one for $50 because once they get one, they realize it was a big mistake. Um, and my rat, I have a pet rat. I'm a behaviorist, so how could I not have a pet rat, right? And my chinchillas, my fish, and you may say fish, they're not, they're not uh, pets. Well, my fish, or like real pets, one of my fish had surgery on his fin last, uh, last summer. Wow, I sound like I'm kind of um, animal crazy. Well, I am. I actually had started um, as a pre-vet major. My goal was to go to Cornell, um, to go to their College of Veterinary Medicine, but things went, you know, got a little crazy along the way. I realized that I do really well in the um, classroom in sciences, but I didn't do really well in the labs. I'm all thumbs. So now you have me, um, PhD in organizational behavior and a lawyer because I just couldn't decide, right? So how do I marry my love for animals with my love for organizational behavior and all things HR? Well, looking at how people interact with their pets at work. So there was a paper recently last summer in Journal of Organizational Behavior calling for organizational researchers to do more uh, research on how um, people interact with their pets in a uh, work environment. And in this paper, um, it had suggested some key areas and I kind of want to talk about some of those and expand on some. So of course we have emotional support in animals. Um, You'll have people who have requests to have accommodation, to have um, an emotional support animal in the workplace 
or you may, and so let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about those first. Um, you know, we've all seen the kind of cases where people have their emotional support chicken or peacock that they're trying to put on the airline. And even some of the airlines have, you know, started getting frustrated and the notion of who, uh, uh, the conditions under which you can bring an animal on the airlines has really recently changed. Um, we know some people have abused that, probably more so, so because they didn't want to have to pay to ship their animal. But, you know, regardless, we do know people get emotional support from their animal. I know nothing is more comforting for me than to look back and see my old dog, Sandy. Sandy, the dog that they should really name a wing after her in the vet school because I've actually spent that much money there, um, including her 18 radiation treatments for the cancer on her leg. But I have to say, go MSU, go Spartans. They, they, she seems to be doing okay. Um, but there are people who have a medical diagnosis that they have to have um, their emotional support animal. And um, I have to say that sometimes the courts haven't been as um, lenient as they, that they could be. Um, there's a, um, a case that uh, um, involving a manufacturer where someone wanted to bring in a dog and they had a letter saying that dog provided this, I believe it was a veteran with emotional support and the, the, um, the employer said it would be too disruptive, you can't bring it in. And the court sided with the, um, with the employer saying that he couldn't bring in the dog. Um, then, you know, so there are the people who officially have this type of documentation and they don't automatically gain the right. And then there are also the um, times when people say, hey, this animal just gives me support and I want to um, bring this animal in. When I was, um, um, at UT San Antonio before I came to Florida, I'm sorry, before I came to Michigan State nine years ago, our Dean, um, Linda Della uh, Vigna, she used to have this thing for kitties. And apparently there were all these kitties having babies out um, outside the, the College of Business. And I was always seeing kitties around and people would bring in her pu puppies. Apparently either there was a rule or nobody followed that rule. And there were always little babies and she would knock on the door and say, come and see the babies. And of course, you know, I can't resist. So I have to go. So people get enjoyment There's out of animals. There's so many studies that show how they um, um, reduce stress. Um, how they um, lower blood pressure, how they um, um, release um, oxytocin, help us release oxytocin in our brain, um, the pleasure of hormone, um, how it makes us, um, you know, in a relaxed state. So you'll have the people who have the accommodation, but the courts haven't been really um, sympathetic um, to them necessarily. Then you have the people who just want to bring the dog in because I mean, it's nice to have a dog in the workplace. One of the things this article that I was talking to you about in um, Journal of Organizational Behavior mentions is that, you know, there seems to be a pro-dog movement in the sense that, um, we don't see people bring really cats in their workplace or their, um, you know, their pot-bellied pig, even though I guess that'd be upsetting to some people. 
um, you know, we as human beings, we seem to really like dogs a lot, even though they're like cats in, in the United States and other places in the world. But there have been studies, and I've been told this anecdotally from my colleagues over at the vet school, it's that overall people seem to be more emotionally invested overall, not everybody, but a lot of people seem to have put that emotional investment in dogs. Why? Why is that? Because we as human beings oftentimes equate love and control over this as the same thing. And you might go, oh, I'm not like that. Well, you know what? Um, I hate to tell you, you probably are. And let me tell you why. Um, dogs see you as like a god and cats think that you're supposed to see them as a god. That's like the joke, right? Um, dogs uh, live to serve us. They look at us with their pleading eyes and they have, they are one of the only animals that establish eye contact with us as well, but they're trainable. Cats are not trainable in the same way in general. So we feel um, that, and there's studies that show this, that dogs love us more. And so as a consequence, we are more likely to invest resources in dogs and that's why dogs also have been so successful. Um, you know, if you go back from the annals of history way back to prehistoric times, first they used to be the dogs that used to hang around the, 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 the uh, encampments or, or like settlements of people. Then people started uh, hunting cooperatively with dogs. Then they started getting the more docile puppies from the wild dogs and raising them. And then, you know, we've co-evolved with dogs. So what does that all tell us? We are made to love dogs and logs are made to love us. There's an interesting article in the Smithsonian Magazine a few months ago, and it's on the, it's the cover article and it's about the canine cognition lab. They have one at Yale and they talk about the human animal bond. And I love the first line of the story. It goes, this is a love story. And I'm like, wow, it is, you know, but that's not to say it's just not dogs. It can be cats. I love my rat. Um, I love my horse. I have to say my bond with my dogs are, are, are stronger. But, you know, I've never really had a cat. And I know I have some students who love their cats so much. So I'm not, I'm not um, like um, talking badly about cats. I'm just saying the reality of how it is and how people have the bond and how in general, whether it's your dog, whether it's your cat, whether it's your hamster, people get enjoyment um, from uh, pets and as such, they will want to bring them into the workplace. But it can raise liability issues, right? Some people can be allergic. Some animals aren't well behaved. Where do they go eliminate, right? Um, those types of issues. What happened if two dogs fight? Like Sandy is the best dog in the world. Okay, you all thought you had the best dog in the world, but really it's my dog, Sandy. Matter of fact, I have a little song that I sing about Sandy and um, I was singing it to the vets at the vet school and some of the vet techs and I was singing it to my nephew and um, people were like, wow, that's pretty catchy. And I'll sing a few bars. I mean, I usually try not to sing in my podcast, but I go, Sandy, you're the best dog in the world. Sandy, I'm so glad you're my little girl. 
Sandy. I know it's just, it's stupid, but it brings me joy. And I have a little dance move where I move my hands up and down. You can't see me doing that, but um, it, it brings me pleasure. And I bet that when that happens, my blood pressure lowers, right? So then you have um, animals who are another type of animal, a working animal, a true service animal. So like a seeing um, eye dog, a guide dog, who have, they have to go through many, many, many years of training or months of training to get through that. And only a small percent of them, percentage of them get through it. I read an interesting study about guide dogs and it talked about how the ones who have been able to make it through the guide dog program, because a lot, it's hard to get into the program, but the ones that actually um, can survive, I should say, and actually make it through the program, I mean like not die, but not be um, kicked out, have a tendency to be the ones who, and I don't remember, either the whorls, you know, the whorls like where, you know, like some animals have, um, pretty much every dog has some little swirls in their fur, whether it's clockwise or counterclockwise. I think it was counterclockwise. Don't don't quote me on that. But those were more likely to get in to get, who to get through the whole guide dog program successfully. Does is that same gene that causes the hair pattern related to carries on something else, but trainability, intelligence, I don't know. It's just an interesting factoid that I thought I'd pass on to you. Well, I should go without saying that the that um, service animals, I'm not saying people don't need emotional support, don't get me wrong, but that service animals, you know, probably have like, at least in people's mind, a higher level of priority in the workplace over an emotional support animal if someone is visually impaired. And it, it, it and part of it may be um, discrimination against people who have um, emotional or mental disabilities. But another part of it could be that, you know, anybody can, you know, it's easy to get your animal declared an emotional support animal, but go through guide dog training. Those animals are really, really, really trained. I've also seen uh, an effort that's been made in some certain groups to have other animals be service dogs, uh, be service animals, like pigs or horses, especially like miniature ponies, like little, little tiny ponies, because they live a long time. I saw a little documentary and it was really cute because the pony had to wear little like little tennis shoes. So that when he went and, and um, indoors, he didn't like mess up the floor with his little hooves. It was super adorable. But, you know, so we have that category of animals. Um, the, the true service animals, and I say true, unquote, unquote. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be um, a seeing eye dog. That could be the, you know, that's probably the classic example. But I've seen, for example, people have trained certain types of animals like, um, small little monkey type of animals, I shouldn't say small type, small monkeys to, uh, for people who are, um, who have uh, paralysis, typically quadriplegia, um, so that they can um, like put things in their mouth or bring things to them since they have, you know, thumbs, that could be very helpful. So that's very interesting. On a side note, I have a little monkey story. 
So one of my um, friends, I was very sad for his abrupt passing, Scott Dursick. And Scott was um, the VP of HR of Peckham Industries. If you don't know Peckham, P-E-C-K-H-A-M, Industries, look them up. They're an amazing organization. They're located in Lansing, Michigan. And what they do is in their vocational rehabilitation agency. And they have about 80% of their workers are people who have barriers to employment, typical, typically disabilities, but there are other barriers too, like people who are refugees. Another interesting factoid that the Lansing, Michigan area is one of the top destinations in the country for the for the real for the resettlement of um uh, refugees to the United States for the past, I don't know, four or five decades. I've always thought that was interesting because most of these refugees come from places that are warm and you drop them off in the middle of Michigan, but it's been that way. But um, at Peckham, um, there is a person, well, their current VP of HR who used to have like, um, like a lower role, he used to bring his dog. I forget the name of his dog, but it was amazing. Um, it was, I think it's a lab. Um, but, you know, so they had a, a very, um, what do you call it, open policy about bringing animals. But then they had like someone, I don't think it was in their Lansing location, Peckham also, what Peckham does is they um, make stuff for Patagonia, they do, like if they make um, stuff for the U.S. military, they make they also have a call center in uh, Phoenix. And like, if you're calling for your passport and you have a question, you're talking to someone from Peckham Industries. So I think it's very, very, very cool what they do. And um, th this person was trying to mate, I think it says marmoset. And um, he wanted to bring his marmoset in because it needed like shots or something like that. Scott always used to tell this story. And at first Scott said no. And then he thought, you know, well, Maybe not. Why? Why can't it come in? It's going to be like a little cage, and the person brings it out and gives it like the shots. Like I guess to stimulate ovulation. I don't know. Um, so some organizations. That's an extreme end of having a very, very pro um, animal friendly environment. And I have to say, Peckham Industries is one of my favorite places in the world. I think it's one of the best. What the best run place and has a really positive type of environment there. Um. Then you have the notion too of now that so many of us work at home, myself included, we have our pets. So as I am recording this podcast, I have to pause because Sandy was scratching at the door. And now that Sandy is super old, I think I predict that she's between 185 and 200. Well, I know that's not possible, but she's super old. I'm not sure how old she is because I got her from the shelter and she was already a senior dog. Um, she wants to be with me. And so, you know, they're all, they're all of these distractions that people have because of their pets. Um, for example, um, you know, like you're working at home, they're barking. Um, I, I've been asked and I've done a lot of speaking and I've been quoted to press about working uh, remotely. And one of the things I talk about, it, it's so hard to work remotely sometimes when you have pets and, you know, that, that Amazon delivery comes and then the dogs are thinking that uh, Portal to Hell has, has been opened and you, they have to warn and protect you, their family from it. So as I said that, Sandy has come and now she's looking over my shoulder at... Um, I'm not sure um, why, but she just wants to check in on me. So you have those disruptions. How many times during the day do you have to stop to um, 
get them, you know, give them attention or because they need to go outside or because they puked on the floor. Well, they probably would have puked on the floor whether you're there or not, but at least if you're working at home, you get to see it at the end of the day as opposed to breaking up the middle of your day with the puke on the floor. Um, even though some would say it's probably better to get that fresh. Still a story for another day. Um, but one of the studies that I wanna see is like, where's the tipping balance? When people work at home, how much interruption do the pets cause? And is that offset by the um, emotional support and the stress reduction that dogs or other animals give you? And that's gonna be one of my um, hypotheses. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that research unfolds. So what I want you to take in consideration, um, some closing thoughts is, as people go back to work, think about how um, you're going to adapt um, a policy about pets. For example, you know, pets fur can carry COVID. Do you say now you had a policy that you could bring them in, but now they, they now you can't bring them in? Um, that's one thing, and it's really hard. I think that's probably been the hardest things for me personally um, during this pandemic as far as a social type of thing is that I'm okay probably not seeing um, friends and extended family members, but I am in a long distance relationship with a lot of the pets in this neighborhood, a lot of the dogs, and I miss running up to them and saying like, hello, hello. Like there's a dog named Maggie and I'm absolutely in love with her. And I, I, I don't feel comfortable touching her because you I mean, we're in a pandemic, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to scare or offend her um, elderly owner. So how are people gonna act bringing them in post-pandemic to work, whether you're gonna allow that or not? Um, even when you don't can take uh, the pandemic consideration, you need to think about what kind of disruption they'll cause to people at work when you bring pets in. People have allergies, they have fear, animals fighting, they may be distracted. Um, do you have pet days where you just have people bring in those days? Do you rotate when people can bring their pets in? Those are all important types of questions. And then making sure that you have a good policy for people who have emotional support animals. Now, service animals clearly are gonna fall, you know, in your traditional service animals, like you're seeing I uh, dogs. I mean, I think most people are really on board that about those types of animals. I mean, and you should be, there's a, their laws, I mean, like including the Americans with Disability Act. But um, with emotional support animals, not to say that that doesn't fall under it, but a lot of times it can be, to use my daughter's word that she used to use when she was a little kid, squigglier. It's a little less cut and dry when you're talking about an emotional support animal. Um, and then finally, um, thinking about how customers and others interact with animals. And then just thinking about, you know, if you want to be a pet friendly place, what are you going to do? Um, even to support people who are working at home with their pets. I think any organization that doesn't offer pet insurance is really missing out. Millennials particularly feel like pets are their children. And then you have the baby boomers who, you know, their kids are gone, their, their, their pets have become their children. And you look at me, I'm not in either one of those generation and my pets are my children. Um, I always say that I have one kid, my, my, my daughter, Sierra, um, who has got two legs and the rest of my pets have four legs 
except for my fish and my snails. Oh yeah, snails are really good. There's a great New Yorker article about snails being the best pandemic pet. I really, really suggest you read that. And on that note, I'm gonna end this episode of People Talk. Please, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and please join me again next week for a new episode. Um, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.